Welcome into the 30 for 30 Club podcast. I'm your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Nemeth. It is December 5th, 2022. We're back. It's felt like a very long week, Bobby, or two weeks, I'm sorry. It's felt like an eternity since we last recorded, hasn't it? I feel like there wasn't anything going on over the last two weeks. So last week I was like, you know what? This two-week break in between recordings is, is a nice timeline. Not much is going on. And then all of a sudden, the last like two or three days, uh, things are starting to drop. And we'll get into that. So I would say it hasn't felt like it's been too long, but I was excited to record today for sure. Yeah, we we timed it right because there was a lot of uh, signings just in the last 24 hours that we get to talk about now. Which is all um, due to the winter meetings kicking off. Uh, which is the first time in three years. So all these GMs and owners and everybody getting together and players in one spot is a, a pretty pretty good catalyst for a lot of hot stove action. Yeah. I There was one year, I'm going to admit, that I was pretty close to going to the winter meetings, actually. Well, you never I told was, me this. I, I'm telling you now, only heard on this podcast. Um. It was 2019, and I was really, like, I, I was in one of those waves, you know, fads, I guess. More than a fad, but, like, I was following baseball really, really closely that off season, And I think that was the year that Bryce Harper changed. Uh, yeah, teams. it was It was 2019, it- yeah, because he left, and then the Nationals won the World Series that same year. Okay. Oh, man. But I was I was really connected to all the rumors and stuff, and I was you know dreaming about working for a MLB front office, and I was reading articles about how like the best way to network is to go to the winter meetings and just like see people. You know, this was all pre-COVID. Go up to people in person, hand them your resume, and just like get in front of people, get FaceTime. I see. And. I I considered buying a ticket. I think it was in Vegas that year. Or I mean, it's always somewhere south. Um, and I was like, maybe I'll just use my vacation time on this. It's kind of weird timing, you know. It's right before people take time off for for Christmas and stuff. But yeah, I never pulled the trigger. But I do have dreams of maybe going to the winter meeting someday, Bobby. Well, we should do that together. We could have on the road podcast sessions each day. Like John Boy Media is doing right now. There we go. Yeah, we could just pull up with our own little booth. That's that's right. We could (laughs) and then could network and connect with people, and that's it, man. That's the key. We should record our podcast live at the winter meetings in some big convention center, and then you could hear all the people in the background, and be like, it would be really legit. And then nobody would actually hear us. But it's it's the like ambiance that matters. People be able to feel the energy. Yeah, it's like Antiques Roadshow, you know, where you just kind of have like that hum of people in the background. That's exactly what I wanted to mold this show off of was Antiques Roadshow, John. (laughs) Really exciting stuff. (laughs) Love that. All right. Let's start with a quick, uh, quick jump around some other sports before we get to baseball. The NBA has reached its quarter mark of the season already. Can you believe that? That is actually crazy. It just feels like most teams are 
most teams are 22 to 25 games in at this point. Yeah, I guess that's more than a quarter, right? Yeah, 82-game season. So the standings are starting to look a little more normalized. They were pretty weird for the first, I would say, three weeks, month. Um, But we're starting to see the contenders floating up to the top and the the teams that will be tanking in a couple months starting to (laughs) show their true colors. Getting set up. That's right. They're warming up to tank. So who's been uh, who's been interesting for you to follow so far in this young NBA season? I mean, I don't think it's like the two teams that I well, I guess there's a third team, but anyways, the Pelicans I think are really interesting. They're second in the West right now. They have one of the better differentials between uh, points scored and points allowed, so their margin of victory is one of the highest in the NBA. And it kind of just feels like things are coming to fruition for them. And that trade for CJ McCollum last year was was kind of like the piece they needed. I mean, obviously Zion coming back was the bigger piece, but to have BI and Zion and McCollum all in there, um, they're they're pretty good. I think they're really good. And I think they're gonna stand the test of time. Yeah, what's really surprising about them is I think everyone expected them to be good offensively, but um, none of those stars are known for their defense at all. And they're top 10 in defense through six weeks. Um, so it's not like small sample size anymore. That's pretty impressive to me. I, like, I did not see that coming. CJ McCollum never played a lick of defense in Portland. <laughs> so for him to be on a top 10 defensive just team. Just him and Dane like, trying to score 80 points a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, Zion's not a great defender, but um they're they're kind of like built buying into that team defense mentality and just making it work so far yeah i mean who knows if they're going to stay as the number two seed but i definitely think they could they could still stick in the top four in the west they they're young and they have talent i mean so they've been playing defense and we're roughly two months into yeah two months yeah six weeks seven week eight week whatever Roughly two months in the season, and they're sticking up there. So that's a team to watch for sure. Yeah. the On the other end of the ball, the Celtics, who were kind of known for their defense last year, have gotten off to a historic offensive start. They, If they were to finish the season today, they would have the best offensive rating in NBA history and the most like the highest three-point rate in NBA history, which is pretty crazy to think when you consider all those Steph and Clay teams of the last 10 years. Um, but they are just getting the shots up, and they're shooting them at a really high rate. They're really fun to watch. Uh, Jason Tatum is a baller. I think he has a case for MVP. We won't get too deep into that today, but the Celtics are a pretty fun watch right now. I've been, uh, I've been kind of choosing my teams to uh to watch when i'm on my stair climber at the gym that's the way that i distract Uh, myself nba time i uh i bought league pass this year i finally gave it look at you go john yeah and so i just cruise around the league and you know whatever game is on usually when i'm at the gym it's when the east coast games are on so i've been getting a lot of celtics and raptors and nets and bucks so it's fun man the celtics do you think Okay, so the Celtics last year were 
touted as one of the better defending teams and their prowess defending. Mm-hmm. And now he made They've kind of flipped gone. it and, and turned maybe into an offense. They team. were better without him. They just needed to shoot more. Like it's it's kind of crazy that they kind of flipped it on their head and now they're 20 and 5, 25 games into the season. Um looking yeah. pretty good. Looking really good. Definitely the, looking like the best team in not only the East, but the NBA right now. Yep, and that's without their starting center, Robert Williams. Right, So, and I think you said, or maybe I was listening to Jay, I can't remember if it was you or J.J. Redick, but... Oh, I'm so glad I'm in the same territory. Well, there's the like my two sources as J.J. Redick. Uh, I wouldn't say you're in the same league. It's just the two sources I have for NBA, has- NBA information, so not quite the same. Anyway, was saying that because... Robert Williams was going to be out that they would have a terrible start to the season that it was going to be shaky. Um, not so much. Not so oh. much. Uh, Giannis is doing Giannis things and the Bucks are still very good. Yes. Cleveland. Lakers. Oh, Cleveland. Cleveland still. I think they're going to be, I think we talked about it maybe two weeks or couple weeks ago and they were off to a good start but they're still sticking around i really do think they're going to be a a really fierce contender in the east i think they're going to stick around too yeah donovan mitchell has been as advertised for them if not better and he's actually playing defense for the first time in his career so they they're a good defensive team as well you know having I was a little worried about Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, two small guards. Yeah, where have we heard that before? Who don't play a lot of defense, and they're they've seemed to really buy in this year. It's working out, and they're fun to watch, man. It's fun to watch a good Cleveland team without LeBron. It is, yeah. They and they're not beholden to hoping he's going to come back anymore. Absolutely. They can actually like move on in their own direction i just like their jerseys too <laughs> i just like watching i just like their jerseys interesting you know christy was watching the Cavs with me recently and she thought that they were stuck in 2010 like she's like these are really outdated and she's outdated the, how about that <laughs> and i was like you know that's funny you say that because they really haven't changed their like they're one of the few teams that i feel like haven't changed anything for at least 10, 12 years. That's not true. So. Are you serious? Look at look at their jerseys from 2010. Look at their jerseys in 2016. Look at their jerseys in 2018. Look at their jerseys now. They're they're absolutely different. I mean, they have a lot of alternates, but like their main logo, I, I mean, the, it's been the yeah, same. Yeah, but the logo, like plenty of teams uh, keep the same logo, but the jerseys can change completely. Come on, John. Come on. Okay, well, you, you and Christy can debate this. Battle it out. Uh, I was going to say the Lakers are unfortunately starting to win and look like a competent <laughs> team. Um, what a shame. One of my f- one of my favorite pastimes is laughing at Lakers fans. Uh, and now they're the ones laughing at me. So they're they're good. And it's all centered around Anthony Davis. Yeah. And I think we talked about this before and how you always felt like Anthony Davis has never really done anything. He had one good, as you said, bubble season. Mm-hmm. And that's it. He's just always been injured. Um, he's showing up now. And I think this has always been the case. I don't think this is a surprise at all. I think most people had always felt that if AD is healthy and he's playing well, the Lakers will do good. Well, guess what? He's healthy. 
he's playing well and the Lakers are doing good. Yep. And they they haven't even had that great of a LeBron season, you know, but they they're getting what they need out of AD. Russell Westbrook's coming off the bench and has finally kind of embraced a sixth man role, which has been it's just worked way better it's working for the flow of the game. Yeah, he's and he's embraced I, I, it, too. I think you got to give him credit for that. I heard a crazy stat on one of my podcasts that the Lakers have a better net rating when LeBron is off the floor than on the floor. And I thought that was not to say that LeBron's bad or like he shouldn't be starting or anything, but just like you heard it here that's first, how, folks. He's washed. That's how weird. He's a that's how weird of a season it's been. Get him off the team. Lakers don't need him. It wasn't Westbrook all along. No, it was it was always it was LeBron James as the number twenty three. Look, um, look, John. The NBA is is always in a better situation when the Lakers are doing good. Whether you like it or not, it's just one of those things. NFL is better when the Cowboys are doing good and the Patriots are doing good. Baseball is always good when the Yankees are doing good. It's just better for the sport. Okay. Okay. Got to push that content. It's true. Am I wrong? It's good for the networks. If that's who you're talking about. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, the popularity of the sport is what's good for the sport. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, I predicted would have a little bit of slippage this year. I thought they were going to you know, not focus as much on the regular season and just kind of keep their guys wrapped in bubble tape for the playoffs. And they have been the best regular season team again. Again. Second year in a row. <laughs> Third year. Third year in a row. Uh, and that's without a lot of people in their lineup and Devin Booker is just going ham. They're a good team. They're just a well-coached, well-formed team. They don't need all the pieces. Uh, they just find a way to keep succeeding. I never really thought that they would just take a break to keep people healthy. It just doesn't make sense because you always are going to want home field or home court advantage in the playoffs. So the higher the seed, the better for you. So why would they just throw it in and get a six seed? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I I overreacted. And I also owe Devin Booker an apology. Uh, he doesn't get talked about enough as an MVP at this point. like. He's never really been in those discussions, and I'm starting to question why, because, man, that guy can... He's just carrying the team. Um, they're pretty shorthanded a lot of nights, and he goes out and scores 50 in three quarters, and it's like... And that's... He hasn't done that every game, but he's he can. he's done it multiple times. He uh, can turn it it's on. it's just like... It's pretty crazy. His when he gets going, there's nothing you can do. He's fun to watch too. He, I mean, he's got a little bit of that Kobe in him. Which I know, if you're an NBA fan, you know this. But if you don't, like Devin Booker is an elite scorer. He's he scored 70 points a number of years ago, and nobody talks about it because the Suns were horrendous. And why would you talk about? And I, I think they might have lost that game. I don't remember. Um, point being is he's electric. He's a, an elite scorer. And now that he's been in the league for a number of years, I think you kind of tap into this. He kind of knows how to carry the team and, and the things to do, not only to score, but to help his team win. And it's showing. Yeah. The, the knock on him for a lot of years was like empty stats. Everyone called him empty stats, you know, 
and he he's definitely not that anymore he contributes to winning basketball and he you know unfortunately right now he just has to take that scoring load but when the team's healthy he he's able to distribute he's able to do more yeah it'll be fun to watch them i it'd be really cool to see him win the finals i i like cp3 i like devin booker um be really cool to see him win yeah and then uh, the hometown Blazers, they have had a really like dramatic swings to the season. Started off really hot, were one of the, the surprise teams in the league. Then they went through a really rough patch for the last two weeks. And then they just won two games in a row, got Dame back. So kind of these very violent swings in the season so far. And hopefully now they're kind of past that rough patch and they can uh, you know, continue to climb back up the hill. I'm hoping for you, John. I know it'd be good for you to have a successful and not tanking team. I think they're good enough to make the playoffs, but I certainly don't think they'll be a contender. So we'll see what that means to them. If they just like to live on that, that line of, of the play in tournament, or they want to fight to get in the top six seeds, who knows? Them in Utah are kind of like where the two stories, the beginning of the season, the top two seeds, they started off both were like nine or 10 and three. And since then, mm -hmm. they've basically flipped their, like gone three and nine or three and 10 since then. So both have come back to earth pretty quickly. I do think Portland's yeah. probably a better team than Utah. I think Utah had a hot start. And probably Utah's not going to make the playoffs. Um, Portland, I think, probably will. I think they'll limp in. Yeah. I will say part of part of the Blazers slippage was they didn't have their best player for two weeks. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Here, here's he is back now. I hear you. Uh, they've had the second hardest strength of schedule. I don't know if you buy into strength of schedule analysis or not, but sure. uh, I'm just going to put that one out there too. So uh, it should get easier for the, for the next foreseeable future than they played playoff team after playoff team for a while. And that's not, I'm not saying that that excuses everything. There have been very frustrating moments for me where I do hold them accountable, but I have to take a step back and consider the big picture, you know? That's what a fan's got to do. Got to be patient. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to the world sport, the World Cup. Yes, sir. Have you been watching? Have you been? I've been watching a little bit. I have bit. been. I have been watching a little bit as well. I'm not going to be super educated about this, I will admit. Um, there, but there's a big TV in the lobby at uh, my workplace where there's always a crowd gathered around for the you know the last several weeks as the games have been going on. Kind of doesn't matter what time of day. Um, and so usually when I walk by, I join that big huddle and you know watch for five minutes and just see. Who's playing? What's the score? You know, see a little bit of live action, but I haven't sat down for like a full match yet. I've watched, I watched two. Um, I've watched, obviously, the U.S. I watched them against Iran, and I watched the um, Japan and uh, I think it was Spain matchup. And I got to say, like, I'm not a big soccer fan. The only reason we're even bringing it up in this podcast because the World Cup is just too big to not mention, at least for a second. Um, 
I'm getting into it a little bit. Like I'm getting more into soccer. I'm trying to understand exactly like the strategies and uh, I'm very both look me and John, this is not a football slash soccer podcast. We don't know very much about the sport outside the surface level. Um, but it's a world event Now you said it's a world sport, but it's also a world event. Um, it's a huge deal in a lot of countries throughout the, the world. It's the one time where, the U.S. actually pays attention to soccer and thinks they care about it. And then as soon as it's over, they're like, no, we don't. But that's OK. Um, but it's been interesting. There's been quite a few other, like upsets in uh, pool play. The U.S. did advance to um, bracket play, but they got their asses kicked by the Netherlands. Which sucks because I think I can speak for myself and most people uh, in the States is that, yeah, like we're watching only because the United States is in. And if they're not, we're probably not watching um unless of course you know you're a diehard soccer fan which should watch every team but um it's just an amazing spectacle it's it's so cool like to see all of these cultures and communities come together to celebrate one thing and just be completely passionate and completely in it uh, i just think it's fascinating and so i as a spectator enjoy that piece as much as the sport that's actually being played on the field mm-hmm. definitely for sure and it's a little bit like the Olympics, but it's offset two years from the Olympics. So you get, right. you know, you get it um, on those off years. And my understanding from people that know a lot more than I do is that, you know, America probably performed about like it wasn't a disappointing showing. It wasn't a super exceeding expectation showing. Right. It was kind of right in that range of, Okay, like this is this is about what we expected. Um, and my I've been told that they are a pretty young team, and so they should those guys should be coming into their prime at the next World Cup. The next World Cup is in where is it? It's in is it in Seattle? It's in it's going to be spread between Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Is or, is the uh, finals in Seattle? I don't know if. Or do we just get, do we just get like a a round or a group? It's interesting. I think it's a a group uh, because it's like a North America hosting. I thought it was a But there's going to be more, there's going to be more pressure on the U.S. to win that year because we are one of the host countries. I will say there's not, like I said, there's a couple upsets and group play, but that doesn't really matter as long as that team ends up getting enough points. The World Cup never really has major upsets. It's like always the same eight teams, and that's kind of the same this year. Argentina and Brazil, England, France, they're all still in it. Spain will probably move on. Like Those teams are always the ones that pretty much win. Like Those are the teams that are going to win. I know Portugal made a run at it a number of years ago. Was that the last one or the one before? Um, so that's the one thing that is kind of like, I don't know how like actual soccer fans and world football fans feel about it, but that's kind of like the boring thing is that, uh, like underdogs never win. (laughs) Like, and I'm, I, I, I'm talking about recent memory. Don't quote me on something that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but, um, there's always just the top four teams, same four teams that are always in the top. So that is kind of a boring piece about it. You never know, Bobby. There's still games to be played. Well, right now, it's Netherlands, Argentina, Croatia, Brazil, England, France. And then there's like Spain and Portugal probably going to move on. So out of the 
final eight teams, pretty much all of them are expected to be there. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, maybe next World Cup. Maybe next World Cup. That's right. I mean, you said you kind of tapped on the U.S. being a young team. I think their captain was only like 22 years old. So, you know, yeah, they got a lot of time. They got a lot of tournaments that they can enter in the next four years to really prep themselves. And, yeah, hopefully we can actually be competitors come 2026 and maybe see a game live, John. Yeah. You know, the Northwest is going to be hosting a lot of a lot of special stuff in the next couple of years. West Coast, best coast. Let's go, World John. Cup, and we got the, uh, the All-Star game coming here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, college football has entered bowl season and playoff season. So we've got Georgia versus Ohio State. And is it Michigan versus TCU? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that's the final uh, four. Okay, and this is, um, there's only, I think next year is the last year of this format of the playoffs, right? And then next year is when they expand it to eight teams. I think they, they hit it for 2024. So I think next year, because they yeah. did come to an agreement, I think. Uh, I know we talked about 24. this months ago, but next year, I believe, is still four teams. And then the year after will be, what was it? Is it 12 or six? It's 12, right? Yeah, it's 12. Yeah, yeah, you're right um that's yes. when they'll expand it's two years from now so what do you think of these teams there's one team is not like the other i uh you know i hate to think that it's just going to be a jaunt in the park for georgia but i think it just might be um i really don't think ohio state and or tcu are good enough to beat georgia i think it's michigan might be and ultimately, I think it'll be a Michigan-Georgia uh, championship game with probably Georgia winning. They're just too good. Like, nobody's even tested them this year. Mm -hmm. Just another boring SEC victory. But I would love to see Michigan win. I like, I've always kind of been a fan of Michigan for no reason. I just have been. And I think they've been pretty good the last couple of years and have, like, one or two, like, just really bad luck things happen to them to keep them out of the playoff. Um, so it's good to see them really take hold of their own destiny this year and, and have a chance at it. So I'd really, you, I'm rooting uh, for Michigan. Are you a Harbaugh believer? Sure. Yeah. I, you I like, like those him. two, two brothers? I, I do. I do. I do like those two brothers. It was fun when they played each other in the Super Bowl. It was just crazy. The 49ers. I, you can't imagine that that'll ever happen again. That's, that's just absolutely wild. It's a very like, yeah, kind of, I don't know, American story. Yeah, Very two much. Two brothers grow in football, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There'll be a movie, I'm sure, someday, or some straight-to-TV movie show. Um, yeah, but I, I think it will oh, be Georgia-Michigan. I think, I mean, that's kind of the boring answer, right? Because they're the top yes. seeds. But um, I think that, we'll see, Michigan could give them a run for their money. That'd be good entertainment value, at least. I don't know, maybe TCU. Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to TCU. TCU lost the Big 12 championship game, Kansas State, in overtime. Kansas State is a top 10 team. So, you know, the only loss they had was last week against a really good team. I don't know. So maybe TCU makes a run out of it. We'll see. But I really do think Michigan and Georgia are, are the top two teams by far. Yeah, and 
I just want to say the Heisman race uh, is all quarterbacks, and that's really boring, and we need to do something about that. <laughs> it's just Hot the way take. it is, man. There are... Uh, I can't think of it, the number off the top of my head, but there are... So there are 21 other players on the field in a starting lineup. Let's give them the award at some point, please. I mean, Thank every you. now and then it happens. <laughs> every now and then. I think what there's only been only a handful of defensive players that have ever actually won the Heisman. Yeah, I can't remember the last. I think there's been one Charles Woodson, player maybe? This, this millennium. There's been one, I believe. No, that was, and I think, that was the 90s, so. Was it? Okay. I thought there was one in the early 2000s. You might be right. I can't remember exactly. I feel like it, that is all quarterbacks and running backs to me in the 2000s. I would like it to change. I I kind of understand why it's usually a quarterback. I understand that that's it's a very demanding position mentally, um, and you really have to have you know the playbook memorized. You got to have the vision. You got to kind of be the leader for your group of guys. But I, I would just I'm not saying that a quarterback should never get it. I'm just saying like maybe once out of every three years, we give it to a non-quarterback. <laughs> Which is this is the year a quarterback cannot get it. I don't know. I hear what you're saying, but that wouldn't be fair. To or to not even have that excellent. To not even have a quarterback in the final, you know, in the green room. John, it's never going to happen. a little disappointing. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. It's like anyway. it's like saying it's kind of like saying, look, one of these years we can't allow starting pitchers to win the Cy Young. We got to give it to one of the relief <laughs> pitchers. We got to do it. No, it would be like, well, yeah, I guess it's a little bit like that or saying like the MVP has to go to a pitcher. It's just one of these, which years. doesn't even make sense in that comparison, because the pitchers do have an MVP. It's called the Cy Young. Yeah, I guess so. They have their own specific award. I don't know. Maybe we could do yeah, that, no right? <laughs> like the split the Heisman between popular, quarterback and not quarterback. I know it's not a popular take, but I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Um, John, real quick, Pac-12 had kind of an interesting end of the year. You got mm-hmm. any notes that you wanted to talk about there? Well, my notes are that uh, I rooted for chaos, and chaos it is happened. What happened. It did. So you know. Uh, the Pac-12 championship game was two Pac-12 South teams, uh, USC and Utah, which meant that the North was completely left out. And uh, so you have a 10-win UW team that doesn't even get to go to the Rose Bowl, which is kind of crazy to think of. Yeah. You know, they have a better record than Utah, just in terms of wins and losses. And yet they are going to get crappy bowl game um and yeah i'm not a huge uw defender even though i'm an alumni but i'm just saying like there's that's kind of weird and unfortunate for uw fans that like you go 10 wins and you're in the sun bowl or whatever like you know it they got rid of divisions this year in the pac-12 and i guess it doesn't really matter going forward because the pac-12 as we know it is going to be dissolved but um it it is it was kind of weird this year where you had kind of four teams at the top and 
they all beat each other basically <laughs> throughout the season and yeah. in the championship game. And so they're, they're kind of all getting not so great games that none of them are going to be in the playoff, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a little, little weird and I guess a little unfortunate for the conference that there was no standout. Bro, USC really choked it away. Like they would have been in, in the playoffs if they could just, <laughs> they, got that, they got their asses beat. And I was kind of sad. I like seeing Pac-12 teams in those bigger bowl games. I know they always get the Rose Bowl, but in the college football playoff, it's just nice to see uh, like um, representatives of all sides of the country, not just the East Coast. Yeah, not this year. And the last two representatives were um, Pacific Northwest teams. So take that. You dub made the playoffs a number of years ago, right? And they got their ass kicked by Bama. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody in the SEC and then Oregon a couple of years before that. Yeah. So. I feel like when the CFB playoffs first started, Oregon, they had Mariota. And so they made it for like three years straight. They were pretty good. They're pretty good, but yes, yeah. like you were saying, you got a whole lot of chaos in the Pac-12. And it turns out the Pac-12 was a really damn good conference. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Like, I'd like to see a head-to-head matchup of one of those four Pac-12 teams play Michigan, for instance, and see or play TCU and be like, okay, where are they right. compared to those teams? Because I don't think they'd beat an SEC team, but... I think they could maybe beat some of the others. Uh, you never possibly. know. Different styles. Different styles. So, anyways, yeah, I think Georgia. I think Georgia probably takes it, and it seems like you're on the same page there too, John. Yes, but root for chaos. Root for yeah, I, always. I don't know. I guess Michigan's probably my like favorite of these four teams in terms of the team I dislike the most, but. Um, because TCU, uh, there's some bad blood there a with, while back with that we TCU? don't have to get into. Wait, with who? Am I missing something with, obvious here? With, with Oregon. It, uh, it was the biggest comeback in bowl history. The Ducks were up like 34. That's a lot of points, John. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, they, and they lost. Oh, my God. That's a lot TCU. of points, John. It was the meltdown of the century. It, I mean, it's Holy pretty wild shit. to think of. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that I'll, I'll leave that. I won't touch it. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying it's hard for me to Fair root enough. for TCU. Fair enough. Uh, baseball, John? Yes, baseball time. Uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I think we, we touched on this a little bit over the, the summer um, that some players would move on to another ballot. Uh, I believe it's called like the era committee. And so it's 16 current hall of famers. There is a committee of them and they'll vote on a select few number of players that did not make the hall of fame uh, with the baseball writers of America. So just to refresh, once you retire, you can be put on you. I don't really know the eligibility of it, but let's just say after six years, you're eligible to be voted into the Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers of America. And if you were not voted in after 10 years, you drop off their ballot. And then the era committee will choose 
roughly eight players that had fallen off of the previous ballot to vote on. And if they get that player on the air committee ballot gets 75% of the votes, then they get elected into the hall of fame. So it's kind of like a second chance for all the players. Is it the same hall of fame or it's the same hall of fame? hundred percent. Yes. Okay. So how long have they been doing this? The era committee? Oh, long, I think a long time. I think I was kind of looking at it earlier. 36 because i've never never really heard of them so maybe okay. since 19 like since the wait was the three was considered the consistent period from 19 to present day oh no 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 maybe the 80s i'm getting kind of conflicting yeah 1980 looks like um and i don't know all the specifications on this because i also read somewhere that it might be three years like if you don't get voted on in the era committee ballot then you're not eligible to get voted on again for three years if you're under a certain amount of votes. The basic idea is that if you don't make it through the first ballot with the Baseball Writers of America, you can get voted in 50 years later by the Air Committee if they decide to vote you in. So there's always an outside chance. Well, they have their vote. I if they've ever done it to somebody who's uh, since deceased. They, they have. Yeah, they have. There's certain yeah. players that get voted in that were played in like 50s or 40s. So like that's why this exists is for for things like that or you know perspective and and passing time to give perspective on a player's abilities. And so I think it's a good thing. Um, why do we bring it up now? Is because they had a vote and they had some big names on it um, that missed their 10 year window. Uh, like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling and Rafael Palmero, Don Mattingly, another Mr. Yankee. Um, all go. these players are on the era committee this year. And, grant, and again, there's 16, 16 um, members of this committee. So you need uh, 12 votes out of 16 to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and there was only one that did, and his name was Fred McGriff, John. Yes, the Florida Marlin, Fred McGriff. He was all over the place. Atlanta Brave was really big on those uh, mid-90s, early-90s Braves teams. Um, just a solid like journeyman player throughout the 90s to early 2000s that didn't make it. Uh, glad to see him make it, though, through the era committee. Were you pro-McGriff through the baseball writers? time period not do you think he no not really there? like you know there's certain players are like like they were good and they made all-star teams and like that is somebody that had a big impact in your lineup but i don't necessarily know if i would consider them myself to be hall of famers i, I don't know i i like fred mcgriff i still don't know if i consider him to be a hall of fame caliber player but their committee felt differently i mean he got 100 percent of the votes so Congratulations to Fred McGriff, but like if I was voting, I might say no. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't make and me unhappy that he made it. Right. And then uh, the big news was that Bonds, Clemens, and Palmero got did very not few make it, votes. and they got very few votes. I think they got less than four votes each. And these, um, this alternates to the committee. It's not the same sixteen people. I don't believe every time. Um, I know it was different, at least in the last time they voted. So 
this makes sense. Honestly, if you really think about it, the writers are just that. The writers, they're fans of the game. And when you talk about steroid use in baseball, the the individuals that it was the toughest pill to swallow were the players playing alongside them that were competing with and against them. The players that lost out on money or playing time to players that were taking steroids. So it makes sense that a committee full of players did not vote for players that were using steroids. However, it's a shame. I think, I mean, Bruce Bochy came out and said it. I think it was Bruce Bochy. Who was it? I think it was Bruce Bochy or Dusty Baker came out and said Barry Bonds is the best player I've ever seen play in my life. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to make it maybe because of spiteful players that played with against him or viewed him from afar. Um, well, and 10 years of journalists. <laughs> Can't forget that, but yes. And journalists. But he got close with the journalists. Uh, he wasn't even close with players. Wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't know. I mean, maybe 10, 20 years from now when there's a new group of new Hall of Famers uh, that are separated or aren't old timers like back in my day, you know, maybe he gets another chance. Um, so you're saying that maybe Mike Trout votes Barry Bonds. Sure. Or... Yeah, maybe. That, yeah, maybe. That's such a, that's such a head twisting uh, yeah, absolutely i mean the players that grew up watching barry bonds then also get to vote on him think about that so how many years do they vote on players like bonds and clems like are they going to vote on them for the next 50 years every single year or i think no i think every year they decide the candidates that they want to vote on so it's not like they it's not like the ballot for the baseball writers where you just stay on the ballot for 10 years each year, the committee decides on eight players that they want to vote on that have not been inducted. So Barry Bonds, I think, it, it don't quote me on this, but he could be on the ballot for the next 10 years for them. Or he could be on it every other year, or every three years. or every. It, it, it's, it's totally up to the committee on who they decide to vote for and who they vote in. As far as my, my understanding. Is, like, the longer that he is... Um... I guess his chances of getting inducted go down each year as I feel like as you get more talent replacing him mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame classes, you know, as we start moving on to the late 2000s and the 2010s, there's going to be a lot of really talented people like Miguel Cabrera or something, you know, that they're not going to want to, I guess he'll get in. He'll get in. Them writers but yeah you know there's going to be other distracting names to take away from barry bonds as time goes on okay so this is prior to 1980 so some of the things i'm reading up a couple things here it says they vote every three years at the winter meetings and that each appointee serve a renewable term the committee is scheduled to meet in the cycle every three years um the hall of fame's board of directors appoint the committee when it happens so it looks like they vote every three years and they're appointed randomly or whoever the board of uh, the hall of fame's board of directors will appoint whoever's going to vote so pretty interesting there we go 
Well, we'll see. Dream's still alive in 2025, Bobby. Cross my fingers, man. Hopefully in my lifetime he gets voted in. Hopefully in his lifetime, right? Well, For his sake. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's more important, John. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh I we've we've talked a lot about the Bonds Clemens stuff, so we'll uh, I guess we'll talk about it when we're still doing the podcast three years from now. It's never going to end, man, until it does. Hot stove, current baseball? Yes, sir. Yeah, finally is heating up, too. I went through the MLB free agency tracker and trade tracker to get us up to date with everything that we've missed since we last spoke. So this is going to be in chronological order from basically we recorded right before Thanksgiving till now just uh yeah december 5th first one first couple are smaller things uh hunter renfro got traded to the angels for flotsam and gives gives them another outfielder uh and they didn't have to give up much you know this is such a like i I don't understand the brewers because i don't really think hunter renfro is a decent like he's a good player to have in your lineup um they traded him to the Angels, which I actually think is a good pickup for the Angels. I still don't, again, I don't understand what the Angels are doing either, because they're just going to trade Shohei Otani in a couple months anyway. More on that. Uh, but then kind of skip ahead a little bit. I know you're going in chronological order. They trade Hunter Renfro, who I think is a really good outfielder, really good bat, and they essentially replaced him with Jesse Winker, had the worst year of his career and had a ton of troubles in the clubhouse in Seattle, which is a really good clubhouse. It just doesn't really make sense to me. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Good move for the Angels. Yeah, and I haven't looked at whether this is kind of a salary kind of thing. So he's, you know, still in arbitration. He made $7.7 7 last year. That's not a lot. Not so... It's not like a salary dump, I don't think. No, I mean, I think um, they're both in arbitration. So I, I don't know if there's more years of control with Winker, and that's why. I don't know. I guess to push back on you, so Hunter Renfro has played for four teams the last four seasons. He gets so traded every year. Every year. There's something there where teams are like, nah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, we don't need him to stick around. He was on San Diego, Tampa Bay, Boston, Milwaukee. And now he's going to be an angel. So there's, he's just one of those guys, man, that every year is in a new place. Again, think it's a good move for the angels. Yeah. Um, and then Carlos Santana. I'm really only saying this because he's a Mariner, or he was a Mariner. Uh, I think his career is kind of over, but. He signed a one-year deal with Pittsburgh. Good for him. He'll mentor the young guys. Yeah, that's um, nothing burger. Uh, Mike Clevenger to the White Sox. Mike Clevenger was an ace for a very brief amount of time with the Cleveland Indians at the time. He then had a season-ending injury, had, I think, a long time off, maybe a year and a half or something. He was gone he was for, a while. for a while. Yeah, he was gone for a while. Uh, he got traded to the Padres, and I don't think he did a ton for them. Um, so he became a free agent and signed a one-year deal with 
the White Sox. And I like this as a reclamation project. Like, I would take a chance on Mike Clevenger, but I've always been a Mike Clevenger fan, so maybe I'm biased. Yeah, I like... I. Like you said, he was an ace in Cleveland for a little bit with that core group of like Bauer and Kluber, Carrasco. And it really felt like a good trade for the Padres, but you kind of tapped into it earlier. He's been fairly injured the last several years, so he hasn't really been able to put a full season together. We got it. He's still young. The stuff is still there. So if he can put a full healthy season together, I think this is, this is a good signing by Chicago. It's, it's pretty, um, pretty low risk. Yeah, if that's your fifth rotation guy, maybe fourth, you're doing pretty good. I don't know if if he is their fourth or fifth. I'm assuming he's probably their fourth, but dude, who knows, man? Well, I mean, they got Dylan Cease, and then after the after that, it's it's a crapshoot for them. Dallas Keuchel, dude, no, they DFE'd his ass. I think he was, yeah, right. yeah <laughs> I know. He's gone. I'm uh, I'm being facetious about their options and their. They don't have a lot of them. Uh, A little bit bigger news, Jose Abreu, first baseman who was a White Sox before. Uh, His entire career, one of the most, like, consistent, you know, serviceable first baseman. Better than serviceable. I mean, a good, solid first baseman for, what, 10 years? Maybe more than that. Um, He is... Finally changed teams, and he is a Houston Astro replacing Yuri Gurriel. Gurriel. Uh, what do you think of that one? It. I mean, we predicted it last time we talked. Uh, I think everybody saw this coming. Yuri Gurriel was 37 years old. Hasn't really been that good of a hitter for a number of years. I mean, it for Jose Abreu, I think he got the same offer from, like, the Red Sox. But, like, when you're, like, Red Sox, Astros... It's an easy choice for him. So easy for both sides. Makes sense. Perfect fit. Makes the Astros even better, and that's stupid. Yeah, and, you know, he's a whole two years younger than Yuri Gurriel, so they're really going after those young guys. Well, they got enough young guys. Another thing with Abreu is he's just, he didn't get as much RBIs this year, He but he typically is an RBI machine. He puts the ball in play. He hovers around 300. He's just a solid bat in the lineup. Yeah, he uh, he's played nine seasons, and he has had a hundred plus RBIs in nine. Or I'm sorry, in six of those nine years. And one of those years, 2020. So, so don't count that. Right. Yeah. So I guess you could say six of eight. So he's a he's a pretty consistent player. Super. Not consistent. the most flashy player, but yeah, a, a good pickup for them. He's going to come in and impact winning right away. Um, Matt Boyd, another Mariner, really exciting. Going back to Detroit, where he spent most of his career. (laughs) Really exciting. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the Mariners, I like how this all transitions nicely together. Uh, We talked, you you mentioned it earlier, but Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro were traded for Colton Wong, starting second baseman for Milwaukee. My reaction to this trade was, Okay, but this means that the Mariners aren't swinging for the fences when it comes to a second baseman. Well, look. Or or a shortstop. Maybe a shortstop. You don't know that. I mean, I guess I JP Crawford is like a heart of the heart of the team, but if they really want to win, they, they could definitely improve from him. Yeah, and I my thought is they probably aren't going to 
I thought it was going to be JP Crawford moves to whatever position the big guy, the big signing or the big whatever. I don't think I thought that is not, but I don't know. I mean, you got to assume that the Mariners aren't done. I don't think they are. Um, I think they're done with second and short, but I, well, I don't mean that those two positions, I just mean as a whole. I don't think they're done. Mm-hmm. I think they'll probably add another bat. It seems more and more likely now, I guess, that Mitch Haneker might not be back, which is interesting. But I suppose with all of his injury concerns, that kind of makes sense. He's just so damn good when he's on the field. But my thoughts of this trade was good. I think it's a good trade. I think Winker was, I touched on it earlier, he was a huge disappointment, had the worst year of his career. They were expecting him to come over and put up 30 home runs like he did the previous year in Cleveland, or Cincinnati. Uh, and he didn't hit. He didn't hit for power. He was injured. He was, had attitude in the clubhouse. It was a huge problem. So get him out of there. And 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 replacement, you get a second baseman. Fills a hold that you need. Great defensive second baseman. And yeah, he's not a big bop or anything, but you know he's gonna get you fifteen ish home runs. Hit two fifty. What a seven something 750 ops so he's not a nothing in the lineup uh but it gives you improves your defense dramatically and on the base path so i think this is a good trade for the mariners yeah and i you know defense is something that's harder to measure statistically so we don't have a lot that we can say there other than he won a gold glove at a tough position back in 2020 with the cardinals right before he went to milwaukee I think the shine has kind of worn off of Colton Wong because uh, actually he won two golden gloves in a row, 2019, 2020. So I think the shine's worn off because there were high expectations for him when he switched teams and he's now entering his age 32 season. So you kind of have to think that we've seen the best of him and, and it's not, it, you know, it's a, it's a slightly above average second baseman, probably better than Adam Frazier. That's true. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. Like I said, little disappointment, little disappointed that Trey Turner is not going to be. <laughs> he was Mariner. never going to Seattle, and we'll go into that in a second. But he was. You know what? We can just segue into Trey Turner. We might as well. Sure. Uh, he was no. never going to Seattle. We always talked about him going to the East Coast. We almost always talked about him going to Philadelphia, and sure enough, he is now a Philadelphia Philly. Yeah, Bobby, you were you were the first one to say it. You said it a long time ago, and you were right. Of course I was right. Of course I was right. It just makes the most 11 sense. 11 years. 11 years, 300 million. Um, that comes in as the 10th largest contract in baseball history. Um, and I, I saw a lot of people on online today kind of postulating about how he's like this really underrated player that doesn't get talked about enough. Do you, do you fall into that camp? Do you think he is underrated? And this contract is kind of a statement of like, Hey, Mm. teams actually think he is really good. I think, I do think that he is more valued by, uh, front offices and you're more a hardcore fan than you're more general or casual fan. I just think because of what he brings to the field, he really is can be a five-tool player. Uh, I mean, when he first came up, he was touted as like the fastest player to ever play the game. And he's not, but he's 
really fast. And then he's a good defender. He's plus defender. He can hit for power. He hits for average. He gives you everything that you need. So I think in some ways he has been overlooked through his career. But since he came to LA, I really feel like he's the spotlight's grown quite a bit. I don't I don't think he's some sort of secret. And I think he's been getting a lot of credit uh, that he's been deserved. Uh, but I think a lot of that's come in this last year when he had a full season in LA because you're in a bigger market. He's one of those uh, in a long line of nationals that got called up at a really young age. He was called up when he was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's only 29 right now. And I like him because he's always been a saving grace in this era of no stolen bases. You can always count on always Trey Turner for getting you, getting you 30 stolen bases. He didn't get it this year, unfortunately, but um, you know, there's several years where he led the league in stolen bases and I can always appreciate that, but he is a, he's also incredible hitter for average as well. I think, I mean, it's, it's just a great fit for Philadelphia. I mean, it's perfect. It's a perfect fit for them. I mean, exact player they, they needed. And yeah, I think they're, I don't know if they will be better next year because Bryce Harper, I, I, we didn't talk about this, but he's getting Tommy John surgery. So he'll be out for the first half of the season. Um, so another blow to him. I think if he's on that team all year with Trey Turner and I mean, again, talking about nationals that were called up when they were super young, there's Bryce Harper. They're reunited. Do you think that the Phillies make this offer if Bryce Harper's completely totally. healthy? Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think Bryce Harper's injury or health status ha- was played into account at all. I think they knew before the season ended that hard. Our biggest priority and target is Trey Turner, and we're going to do what we can. And uh, 11 years, $300 million later, uh, he's a Philadelphia Philly. And another big thing to this, he signed into his age 40 season, uh, which is pretty crazy. And I think it could change a couple things. Um, You know, Judge hasn't signed yet, but I was texting you earlier that I think that it could affect his negotiations. Uh, I think he's pushing for a nine-year contract right now, which would push him into his 39-year season. And I think with Trey Turner signed to 40, I think he's got some leverage now to say, hey, what about that 10th year, guys? Mm-hmm. So we'll yeah, see. and you would think, I would think that Trey Turner would probably be, you know, when it comes to like historical averages of players with more longevity, I would think Trey Turner would probably have more longevity just being, uh, a, you know, a really high batting average guy. Um, I'm not sure, honestly. I was actually just thinking about this because a lot of Trey Turner's, yes, he's a high batting average, high contact guy, a high on base guy, but a lot of that's going to go away. His bat speed's going to go away the older that he gets. So, you know, his speed, his defensive prowess, uh, on base average is going to go down. So a lot of what he brings to the table is going to naturally diminish with the aging of his body. Somebody like Aaron judge can just flip over to DH and hit 30 home runs until he's 40. So I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I, I have no idea what the, what the data says there when it comes to do power hitter, big power hitters that are, uh, you know, on the heavier side, do they have a better longevity than, um, you know, the, 
Ichiro's of the world. Yes. The answer is yes. Nick Gordon's of the world. Um, yeah, so now they the um the Phillies will have Reese Hoskins at first. You would think Trey Turner goes to second. No, I doubt it. I think he's they signed him as a shortstop. He'll be at short. Who is it? Is it Bryson okay. Stott that's at short right there for them? Bryson Stott uh would would be the other guy that would be sharing time with wherever Trey Turner's not. So Bryson Stott and then Alec Bohm at third. So um they're shoring up that that infield. They've they've had a lot of trouble developing that infield the last ten years. Um you know, it's usually been kind of an area of weakness for them. So I mean they had one of the best infield infields in major league history in the late twenty 20- 2000s into 2010 and yeah like you said the last 10 years since those players left it's been it's been really weak i mean reese hoskins has been there for a while but without anybody else yeah so good for the phillies uh can't be too upset about that one let's move on to pitchers now yeah the big one three big names three hall of famers probably yeah, let's get the easy one out of the way. Kershaw back for another one-year contract, $20 million to the Dodgers. He's just going to keep doing this until he wants to retire. That's it. I mean, it'll be same year, probably annual value every single year until he says, yep, yeah, I'm done. And the Dodgers will keep bringing them back. Yep. It's, it's, it's a little boring. There's every, the last couple off seasons, there's been teams that are so you know texas or whoever that's like yeah i think we're you know we're finally gonna pry him away and then he just goes back to his hometown team the team that that uh raised him ever since you know the turn of the century <laughs> the turn of the century Wait. that's a little dramatic <laughs> way to put it, he's yes. been around he's been around a very long time he has been and we talked he's about still that, not that a couple old. episodes what ago. is he 37 is he? How old is he? John? Numbers guy? Uh, I didn't know I was looking that up. John? <laughs> I'm looking it up. Clayton right Kershaw. 34. 34. He's not even wow. that old. Well, he was called up when he was 16. He's not even <laughs> that old. He's like the same age as Jacob DeGrom. He could pitch for another six years if he wanted to. He debuted when he was 20 years old. Yeah, I forget how That's young pretty, he was when he did come up. I think the thing with Kershaw, though, is that he's done enough in his career, and he keeps having these issues with his back. So he's just one of those players that, if he was healthy, he could probably pitch another five years. But I think he just he doesn't want to like pitch until his body's disintegrated. So I think that's why he's taking a year at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's good for him, and he's made plenty of money. I mean, getting twenty million at this stage in his career i feel like that's a win i mean he's not that old still like like he's not that old 20 million a year is i know but like the injuries are starting to the injuries are starting to every year you have to worry a little bit about him missing you know a month it's true and and i think the dodgers know that and he knows that and that's why he does play it out year to year um and yeah, twenty million's good, but you know what's a whole lot better in your age thirty-four season, John? Thirty-eight and forty million dollars a year. Who's the guy that just got that? Yeah, uh, you're talking about 
Justin Verlander and Jacob DeGrom. I am talking about them. Uh, we'll start with Jacob DeGrom since he signed first. So he got a five-year, $185 million deal with the Texas Rangers. Uh, he's 34 right now, so that takes him to 39. Like he said, you know, he's going to be making, what is that, upper 30s every year? Yeah, it's, I think it's distributed uh, out. I think he makes like $30 million the first year, and then every year after that he's making 38 to $40 million a year. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for somebody who I'm pretty concerned about their health and longevity at this point. And I'm sure Mets fans, you know, in some ways are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, you think so? I don't know. We'll get into last, why the last might. few years. The last few years have not been super kind to DeGrom. Um, but but it, it's it's tough because when he's on you could argue he's the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, I mean, I really don't think that there is an argument. Like, he is. When he is on and he's healthy, he is the best pitcher in baseball. It's not even close. But he hasn't, he hasn't been healthy. And last year, even when he was pitching at the end of the season, he didn't seem like he was on either. He, had, he wasn't his normal self. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd have to look it up now, but the last time he was on was probably, you know, 2019, 2018. So you're you're relying on four years, three, four years ago to be somewhat of what the future holds. And, and that's a big risk. Yeah. And I mean, he's come back and pitched like the first month or two of the season, been dominant, and then he's out the whole season. That's kind of been his story the last three, like you said, three or so years. But yeah, so the first time, the last time that he pitched over 100 innings, uh, it was 2019. Yeah, and that'll be four years ago at the beginning of the season. This upcoming season will be four years removed from that. But, you know, I will say his ERA has stayed low even when he's been in and out. He's he's never it's never really blown up. Um, so it really is just can he stay on the mound for a full season or at least three quarters of a season. So what do you think? What do you think about him going to Texas? What do you think about that whole situation between like him kind of jumping on this deal with Texas and not going back to New York? Uh, I think it makes sense for him. And I, I do understand that Texas is just going all out and, you know, they secured Martin Perez. I think he was uh, arbitration, I believe. Um, so they got a new salary figure for him figured out. So their rotation is DeGrom, Perez, Dane Dunning, and Glenn Otto. Um, and then, like, what's Jason and Gray? And then John or Gray. John Gray. Yeah, John, Gray is, John Gray would be their fifth pitcher. Um, that's not a terrific starting lineup. <laughs> Uh, no. And their bullpen's not very good, but they have a lot of offensive power. So I don't know if if Martin Perez can repeat what he did last year, and Degrom has a good year. You would have to think that they're fighting for a wild card. I don't know. I I still don't think they're there. I, they need they need more starting pitching. They need some help in their bullpen. They need a couple things to meld their off. They got a couple moves to make before they'll even compete for a playoff position. They're not there yet. 
And DeGrom fully... He, really? The only reason he takes this is because it's the highest contract. That's the longest contract he could have got. It's the most guaranteed money he could have gotten. Um, and from what I saw and I read is that he didn't even give a counteroffer, an option for a counteroffer for the Mets. Got an offer from the Mets, which I believe was three years, $120 million. You can do the math. That's $40 million a year. Got the offer from the Rangers, which is five years. Uh, what was it, like 185? Mm-hmm. And just accepted it. He didn't even go back to the Mets saying, this is what I got. What can you do for me? He was ready to get out of New York. I don't know why, but he was. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what's behind the scenes in terms of maybe medical exactly. staffs, training staffs. Maybe he felt like part of his struggles have been related to the staff around him. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe of... maybe when they offered and say, hey, this is the best offer that we can make and that we will make. You know, if you find a better offer, you might as well accept it because we will not negotiate with it. This is the best we can do. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to rip off the Band-Aid and be up front with each other and move on like a breakup. And they did, which left a gap that was immediately filled by Justin Verlander. Yeah, the Mets were not, uh, they weren't bachelors for long. They were bachelors for like two weeks. So Justin Verlander, two years, 60 million at age 39. 39. And he's got an option for a third year. It's it's weird. I, I don't know. Like, do you think do you think this is like irresponsible spending by these teams to spend so much money and give so many years to aging stars? Or do you just think that this is the changing of the times and that players are gonna play longer at a higher value? Like, what do you think? It's really tough with Verlander. I mean, you know how I feel about Justin oh, Verlander. Oh, yes, John. I do know. But but I'm pretty discouraged by his playoffs, and I don't know how much to weigh that because the wheels can fall off really quickly. And, you know, it was at the end of a long season, so you could say it was just a rest thing and, and that he'll be fine with an off season to come back. Um. But so, you know, like, I think he'll be fine in the regular season. I don't think it'll blow up in their face, at least not this year. But you do have to wonder by the time October comes around, is he going to have that longevity to pitch well in the postseason at 3940 after pitching, let's say, 160 yeah, 160 innings? In innings. Season? Cause like, you know, father time catches up with everybody. And when you're 40, like, is mentally as much as you want to be there, your body is not going to keep up. So, you know, he's one serious injury away from, like, his career just being done because he can't rehab mm-hmm. for another three years. He can't lose another three years. He can't lose another season. Uh, he's too old. So, I, I don't know, interesting. But it seems like the response has been really positive. I think people feel really good about Verlander and, Seen some people say that this is a better option for them over to Grom, which is if you said that a year ago, you'd be out of your mind to say that. It speaks to how good of a season, regular season Justin Verlander it's had. True. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, you think of it as like, okay, we're paying thirty million dollars a year to get to have a pretty good shot at like a under three RA pitcher. 
Could be. It's a flip Will of the coin. Will he be around in the postseason? Right. <laughs> you know, but like. You know Steve Cohen. He doesn't. That's the crazy thing is he doesn't really care. He'll spend money on what he thinks is valuable, which goes back to the fact that they must not have thought Jacob DeGrom was much, had much value for them anymore. Yeah, I guess from like a business standpoint, Justin Verlander is going to bring more people to the stadium, you would think, than Jacob DeGrom. Than Jacob but DeGrom I, for Mets fans? Nah. Justin Verlander a is a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's a bad take, sir. Plus, there's the whole narrative with him and Scherzer together again. It's a good narrative. That is a good narrative for sure. 12, 13 the years old, apart. <laughs> Reunited. Old men. Yeah, they, uh, for those of you who don't know, they, they were teammates in Detroit back, uh, back when the Great Recession was still going on. 2008, 2009. Um, and it was them and Rick Porcello who just announced his retirement today. But those three were like, that was like one of the best trios in baseball at the time. And it's pretty funny that, that two of them have been reunited all these years later. I think they got, they had gotten David Price too at some point. I don't know if that all three of them are still there. Scherzer might've moved on by that point, but I think at one point they were all together with David Price. That was a, a pretty insane rotation at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had Dontrell Willis was part of that group at the end, very twilight. I don't really of know his if that's career. a highlight. <laughs> I don't know if that's something <laughs> um, to brag about. Anibal Sanchez he was, good. was like the f- he was like the fifth starter, and he would be like a second or third starter in any other rotation. But anyway, I digress. They're back at it, the twilight of their career to try to win a championship for New York. I think that's happens. a fun story to track it's a fun for story. the season. The, the Mets are putting a lot of eggs in some really old baskets. <laughs> that's a good way to put it, yeah. Some feeble they, old Going all baskets. out on just like, you know, maybe their thought was like, you know what? If it's working for Scherzer, maybe it'll work for Verlander. And like, you know, if if one of them gets injured, then... I guess That's it's only like two for. years, really. You know what I mean? It's not that long. It's not like they gave him a 10-year contract. But yeah, you said it's uh, it's kind of a high-risk, high-reward move for both of them. So the, the disagreement we had today when we were texting was Houston. Uh, your opinion was Houston's going to be fine totally. without Verlander, and they're not going to miss a beat. Uh, my reaction was a little more negative of in that this this should make the AL West a little bit easier during the regular Not season I think all right but but you don't think Houston's going to sign a free agent pitcher no, do you No I don't think so You're just I don't think they need to the, they just have so much existing depth. rotation Yeah I mean they won the World Series did Justin Verlander pitch good in the playoffs John No he did not He did not They didn't need him They don't need him Yeah they, and all those other pitchers are like we talked about. They're like 25 years old. Yeah, they got control over these guys for a number of years, so they don't need to sign anybody. I mean, they were offloading. They had Jake Odorizzi. They just traded him for Will Smith, and Will Smith didn't even pitch for them. Like they, they have so much depth in that rotation. It doesn't matter. Lance McCullers was hurt most of the year. You got to think he'll be healthy. It's like he's the guy that replaces Verlander. That's a guy that's like a sub three ERA guy. Uh, no, they're fine. 
they're not gonna they're not gonna feel us at all all right i was trying to give mariners fans a little bit of hope yankees fans a little bit of hope but i can't get hope until squashing them. i know judge is back in pinstripes for the next 10 years yeah so let's close on that what uh what's the latest rumors uh is he meeting with other people simply just it's purely the giants and yankees at this point somebody came out and said oh there's a mystery team that's no there's not that's just a negotiation tactic it's only between the giants and yankees uh there was a rumored offer by the yankees which was eight years at uh like 310 eight years 310 million which i think would be about 37 and a half million a year which would break the record for highest value per year for position player i don't know if that's an accurate offer that sounds about right and i at the time i was like yeah that's not going to be enough they're gonna have to go to like nine years like 340 350 to get the deal done and so i kind of think that's where it might go unless he really wants to push for a 10 a 10th year but i really do think it'll be probably about nine years 350 million dollars and i don't know i honestly don't know it's it's hard to tell. He's shown up to the winter meetings tomorrow in San Diego. You got to think that maybe he signs this week. So I think I think we might see it this week, but I, I honestly just don't know if it's going to be San Francisco or New York. Do you think that he's valuing the years or the AAV? I think he's valuing obviously both, but I do think he cares more about the years. I think he'd be willing to give up a little bit in AAV to get another year. Mm -hmm. But I also think that he, he knows that each offer he's going to get is going to be close enough. And ultimately it's not about that. It's going to be about where he wants to be. And the only person that knows that is Aaron judge. Right. Does he, does he marry? Does he have kids? He is married. He doesn't have a kid though. Okay. I was just wondering if that would, you know, family (laughs) locate into or if that you know that would factor yeah i'm sure for a person like him it would but yeah he doesn't have kids yet uh he is from the bay area if you don't know so that's why san francisco is the other suitor san francisco has also been on record saying they will not be outbid they will spend as much money as possible that if aaron judge does not sign with the giants it will not be because of money so we know the yankees are going to have to match whatever the giants are throwing at them and again, at the end of the day, it's just where if Aaron Judge wants to stay in pinstripes and be Yankee legend and hopefully brings the championship, or if he wants to go back home and play around family in a familiar area and the team that he rooted for growing up, it's hard to know. And the Giants would be probably contenders if they had him, right? Uh, like, yeah, that, I think, they're, not I think like... they're a playoff team, but like, let's be real. like they're not. The Giants are not the same team as the Yankees. The Yankees will be a, a better team and compete more consistently uh, and at a higher uh, on a bigger stage than the Giants. Well, I mean, you got the Dodgers and Padres in their division. And even with Aaron, even with Aaron Judge the... signing, the Dodgers and Padres will be a better team than the Giants. Bobby, which team was in the World Series last? What do you mean? The Giants? That was 10 years ago. Yeah. I, that was eight years ago. Okay, that was eight um, years ago, but how many playoff I, how I many like playoff appearances uh, have the Giants had in the last eight years, and how many have the Yankees? 
Not as many as the What Yankees, about championship series have, appearances? They also haven't been trying as hard. They've been openly rebuilding some of those years. That's not going to change. That is the organization. There's only there's only a, a select amount of teams that spend money every single year that try to compete every single year. It is not the Giants. So if Aaron Judge is going back to San Francisco, he'll get a lot of money, which is good for him individually. But if he wants to win and compete every single year, he will not get the same experience with the Giants that he does with the Yankees. That's not to say he won't be successful with the Giants. Maybe they could win a World Series at some point. But my point is that every year with the Yankees, he's got a shot. It won't be the same with the Giants. Brandon Crawford wants a fourth ring, Bobby. <laughs> He's been waiting a while. Yes. All right. Well, I still think that the Giants would be pretty a pretty interesting team if they got Judge. But of course they would. Yeah. But we'll leave it at that. Anything else you want to close on uh, before we wrap this one up? No. Nothing. I mean, we'll. I don't know. Maybe if there's enough movement over the next week, maybe we'll have an off cycle recording next Sunday. Um, but if not, we'll be back in another two weeks. Yeah, that's before Christmas. Um, yeah, enjoy your holiday season up until that point. Yes, enjoy it. Uh, enjoy the snow if you are in an area that is going to get it. Um, be safe out there. And, and yeah, enjoy the holiday season. Enjoy the hot stove. Enjoy the hot stove. Let it keep you warm. Uh, follow us Twitter, Instagram, at Yankee6, and at Thorpe Theory. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you later, folks. Toodles.